All right, reading from Genesis 2, 18 to 25. For the Lord God said, It is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the beasts of the field and all the birds of the air. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds of the air and all the beasts of the field. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. The man and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. So moving over to 1 Corinthians 11. So page 812 or page 1152. I praise you for remembering me in everything and for holding to the teachings, just as I pass them on to you. Now I want you to realise that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of the woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. Every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonours his head, and every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonours her head. It is just as though her head were shaved. If a woman does not cover her head, she should have her hair cut off. And if it is a disgrace for a woman to have her hair cut or shaved off, she should cover her head. A man ought not to cover his head, since he is the image, of the, the image and glory of God. But the woman is the glory of man. For man did not come from woman, but woman from man. Neither was man created from woman, but woman for, neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. For this reason, and because of the angels, a woman ought to have a sign of authority on her head. In the Lord, however, woman is not independent of man, nor is man independent of woman. For as woman came from man, so also man is born of woman. But everything comes from God. Judge for yourselves. Is it proper for a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not the very nature of things teach you that if a man has long hair, it is a disgrace to him? But that if a woman has long hair, it is her glory. For long hair is given to her as a covering. If anyone wants to be contentious about this, we have no other practice, nor do the churches of God. Uh, will you join with me in prayer, please? Father, we thank you that you have caused for this letter to the Corinthian church to be written uh, for your people throughout the ages. Enable us to treat your word with all seriousness and grant us uh, spiritual insight and understanding that our thinking, that our attitudes and our behaviour would align with your will. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In Western culture, the distinctions between men and women have uh, narrowed significantly 
in a relatively short uh, uh, time span. Uh, we see it in the workplace, uh, we see it in uh, home life, we see it uh, also in leadership. Uh, the key issue, of course, being the higher rate of uh, participation of women in the uh, workplace and in jobs, jobs which uh, not so long ago were uh, more the domain of, uh, of men. Uh, for some, we still have a long way to go before we uh, have achieved equality of opportunity uh, for women, uh, whilst others, while, whilst valuing the benefits that we all receive from the changes that have happened uh, in recent times, also lament that in some ways uh, life has become more challenging. And, and as Christians, we can uh, struggle reconciling the changes and the opportunities, uh, particularly for women in the workplace uh, and in uh, leadership, uh, with what we find in the Bible, where the Bible teaches differences between men and women uh, in marriage and also in, uh, in church life, in congregational life. And as we, uh, as Christians, wrestle with uh, these issues... It seems that society has also opened up other issues for us to, uh, to think about, uh, such as the notion that uh, people are only either male or female uh, now being quite openly uh, challenged uh, in society. So that uh, what happens is that the Bible uh, seems to be increasingly out of step with the society in which we live uh, and even offensive uh, in some ways in terms of our uh, societal and our cultural context. And that's certainly the case with uh, today's passage from 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Uh, it's a challenging passage not just because of, of what it teaches and as we seek to uh, implement that in the uh, uh, cultural context in which we live, uh, but also because it's a passage which is sometimes misunderstood and misapplied. Uh, this is the passage, by the way, which uh, meant that in previous generations, all the women here would be wearing a hat on their head uh, in church, and men would have left their hats at the porch or in their cars. This is that passage... And so before we get too far into it, uh, we do need to think about context. Uh, what we've discovered as we've worked through 1 Corinthians is that uh, context is very important. Uh, what behaviour in the church uh, is Paul writing in response to? And uh, particularly in this case, uh, what, what was the cultural context in which that behaviour was taking place. So let's open up our Bibles now at 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And of course there is an outline for you in the bulletin for you to take notes or just to follow where we're heading uh, in terms of the talk. I want to ask you this, while you're doing that, ask you this question, how do you feel when uh, a friend uh, wants to get together with you and have a bit of a chat and it's a nice friendly chat and they start telling you the things that they appreciate about you and in such a way that you kind of know that there's going to be a but um, coming at the end of this. You know what I'm talking about? 
Um, <clears throat> it's a, sort of a nice way of them uh, establishing the loving context for a rebuke or a challenge uh, that they're about to raise with you. And this is how Paul starts in verse 2. He says to the Corinthians, I praise you for remembering in everything, <clears throat> me in everything, and for holding to the teachings just as I pass them on to you. By the way, next week when we look at the second part <clears throat> and verse 17 about the Lord's Supper, he says, in the following matter, I've got no praise for you. But here he starts by saying, I've, I want to praise you for uh, always remembering me and for holding on to the t teachings that I've given you. But, and that's what the word now here means, it means but. <clears throat> and then he raises an issue where they need to be corrected. So what was the issue <clears throat> and what was the context? <clears throat> well, uh, often in Corinthians we see that there is a, pre a presenting issue, but there is a background to that issue, a context to it. And the presenting issue here was how some of the women in the church were arranging their hair uh, whilst they participated in church uh, in praying or prophesying. And you think to yourself, my goodness, why would that be an issue? What does it matter how a woman arranges her hair? Well, <clears throat> in the context of the culture at the time, <clears throat> I need to have a good cough. Uh, right, that's done. Now, so in the context of the culture at the time, uh, women would typically uh, have long hair and men had short hair. Uh, women would arrange their long hair up uh, and they would have a partial covering uh, over that, uh, a, a, a cloth cover. And to have the, the, the long hair arranged that way with the partial cloth covering was a, an expression of, of dignity and in the case of a married woman, it uh, was an expression of her relationship with her husband. And we see this exemplified in portraits and uh, sculptures of that, um, of that era. There were women who wore their hair down so that it flowed freely. Uh, for example, uh, there's a place near Corinth called Delphi and there was a um, temple at Delphi where some pretty um, <clears throat> uh, extraordinary pagan prophetesses uh, chose to wear their hair down. So that was one example. And so this is not just a matter of fashion. It's a statement in terms of wearing your hair up with a partial head covering is a statement about a woman's relationship with her husband. And so to wear the hair down was also a statement about the woman's relationship with her husband, uh, but it's a negative statement. Now, why would they do that? Why would these women in the church prophesying and praying make this negative statement about their relationship with their husband by wearing their hair down? 
There is a reason why they would do this. Um, In Mark's Gospel, chapter 12, verse 25, there's this... uh, there's this engagement that Jesus has with the Sadducees who didn't believe in the resurrection and they, they, try, to, they try a gotcha moment for Jesus because uh, they say to him, there was this woman who, uh, you know, she married a man and he died and then so she married another man and he died and married another man and he died and married another man and he did. This is the woman who couldn't cook, apparently. Um, so they... You know, when she gets to heaven, whose husband is she going to be? There you go, Jesus, gotcha, you know, gotcha, you know. And Jesus responds by, say, by, by seeing straight through that and uh, saying to them, well, in the resurrection age, don't you know that there is no such thing as marriage? We will all be like the angels, ruling with the angels. That's the resurrection age. No marriage and we rule with the angels. Um, back in 1, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, there's, uh, it seems that there were some people in the church in Corinth who considered themselves to be so spiritual that they'd already actually arrived at that point, that they had already entered into that age, the heavenly age, that somehow that they were ruling with the angels. And some of these spiritual women uh, who were married were loosening their identity as being married women by letting their hair down as they prayed. Because heavenly women are not married. Now, it may seem a little bit weird to us that Christians would take a, a, a concept we look forward to in heaven and say, well, this now applies today. That might sound weird to us, but we do it all the time, or these Christians do it all the time. Uh, think of um, Christians who say that, uh, the, that the promise of the, uh, of the absence of sickness and the absence of poverty, uh, and which applies to heaven, and they say, well, no, that can be yours here and now. So we actually do that Uh, There are Christians here, even in Port Macquarie, who do that sort of thing. But that was the issue in Corinth. Uh, Wearing her hair down instead of wearing it up and covered uh, was not just a fashion statement. It was a statement of independence from her husband based on bad theology about the future. And so Paul corrects this with some good theology and it's good theology about relationships, particularly the order in relationships. Have a look at verse 3. Now I want you to realise that the head of every man is Christ and the head of the woman is man and the head of Christ is God. Three statements, the central one being about a husband and a wife. Now, I want to stress that uh, when he says that the head of the woman is man, he's not talking about any woman and any man or any woman and every man. It's in the context this is talking about husband and wife. Um, This is the marriage relationship. 
And that's the relationship which the passage is, is about. Now, in our culture, this uh, can be a very offensive statement. And the reason, part of the reasons for that are that we equate this headship uh, that a man has in respect to his wife, we equate it with t both tyranny and also inequality, uh, which ironically are behaviours which result from sin. Th they are behaviours that are offensive to God. But that's what we read into it. Yet, let's have a look at these statements. <clears throat> if the man is the head of the, uh, of the woman, who is the head of man? Well, he's not a law unto himself. Uh, his head in the first statement is Christ. Which means that he is to lead and to love his wife in the same way that Christ leads and, and loved the church. That's the context. This is the headship by which a man leads responsibly for the good of his wife and for his family, even at his own expense. It is the opposite to tyranny. It is sacrificial leadership. It's not tyranny, and nor is it inequality. For if you have a look at the third statement, who is the head of Christ? What does it say? God. So Christ himself has a head. Uh, God is one. God is one God. But God is three persons. Uh, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. Uh, in what we, we call the Trinity. Within the Trinity, there is an ordering of relationships. Uh, within the Trinity, the Son obeys the Father. The Spirit points to and glorifies the Son. Now, all are equally God, but each have different roles. And those roles involve an ordering of the relationships uh, within the Trinity, within God himself. Now, it is in that sense uh, that a husband is to sacrificially lead his wife, um, just as a wife um, should respect that and help him in that role. Now, I, I, can I just speak to the married men for a moment? Can I do that? So, if, if you're not a married man, <coughs> you, don't have, you can read your bulletins or something like that. Uh, actually, I know I've got everyone's attention, don't I? <coughs> um, men... Uh, we need to step up to the mark. Uh, men, we need to stop leaving the hard stuff um, for our wives, um, especially in areas of godliness. Uh, it is a disgrace. Uh, it is shameful uh, when we, as married men, are casual about the things of God uh, so that in actual fact, it's our wives who have to lead not only the kids, but lead us as well. Our wives don't want that. Our wives want us to step up to the mark. Our wives want us 
to be leading in a godly way in the marriages in the same way that Christ leads the church. They want that. And we need to step up to the mark and stop shirking responsibility. Now, in Corinth, there was some dishonouring that was going on in the church. Um, Verse 4. Every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonours his head. And every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonours her head. It is just as though her head was shaved. If a woman does not cover her head, she should have her hair cut off. And if it is a disgrace for a woman to have her hair cut or shaved off, she should cover her head. Now, what do you think? Does that all make sense? Is everyone clear on that? Clear as mud? Let me me see if I can explain it for you. Paul is saying (coughs) to, to the women, if you're going to uncover your hair and let it down then you might as well cut it off and shave it. You might as well actually be short-haired or bald. Now, who, what kind of people are short-haired or bald? It's generally, it's men, isn't it? It's men. Uh, in Corinth, if a woman uh, tried to look mannish by uh, wearing her hair as a man would wear his hair, by cutting it short or shaving it, uh, it would generally be because she was in a homosexual relationship. That's why. The other more common situation would be if a woman was a fugitive, that if she was fleeing from something and she was trying to disguise herself as a man so as to avoid some um, unhelpful situations. This is about blurring the differences between male and female. And that, um, in a different kind of way, was what these spiritual women uh, were doing when they let their hair down, because it's as if they're saying that marriage is not a thing anymore. Um, Well, marriage is still a thing, because we're not in heaven yet. And there is difference between men and women. Verse 7. A man ought not to cover his head, since he is the image and glory of God. Now, in what sense is the man the image and the glory of God? Well, that goes back to creation, where in uh, Genesis 2, a passage that Alison read for us earlier on, uh, where God formed Adam um, out of the dust of the earth and he breathed, life into his nostrils and God gave Adam preeminence over the creation by establishing him in authority over the to to work the the garden and also to uh, to name uh, the animals and so for him to cover his head uh, would in the Corinthian context seemed to symbolise that he was no longer uh, considering himself to be the image and the glory of God. Whereas Paul continues in verse 7, 
saying, But the woman is the glory of man. For the man did not come from woman, but woman from man. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. So the man is the image and the glory of God. The woman is the glory of man. How can that be? What does that mean? Well, in Genesis 2, again, uh, she is created uh, not from the dust of the earth as Adam was, but she is created uh, from the man, from his rib. Uh, And the issue there is that that means that for Adam, his days of loneliness are now over. Uh, She is like him, but she is different. Uh, She is to be his helper. That's what it says, that she is to be his help meet, his helper, as he seeks to serve God by caring for the garden. Add to that that there is the joy and the beauty uh, in her difference, that she is uh, female and the joy and the beauty that they experience in that uh, complementary one flesh relationship. So when the Corinthian women wear their hair down whilst they are prophesying and praying, what are they saying? They're saying, I am no longer my husband's helper. They're saying that the order in the marriage relationship no longer applies to me because I'm so spiritual that I have entered into the resurrection age where there is marriage that age where we rule with the angels. Now, which, which I take it is what Paul is on about in verse 10. Did you see the interesting reasons that Paul gives in verse 10? He says, For this reason, and because of the angels, the woman ought to have a sign of authority on her head. And you think, what, what have the angels got to do with this? Some Christians have come up with some bizarre explanations for this. Um, typically, that without a covering on her head, that she's going to be a sexual temptation to the angels. Whereas I think that it seems that wearing the hair up and covered is a sign even to the angels that the age of ruling with the angels has not yet arrived. <laughs> We're not in heaven yet. Uh, We are in heaven in the sense that we have our place assured for us in heaven. We are in this now but not yet stage of God's plan. The wife is not independent of her husband. And in verse 11, it's vice versa. The man is not independent of his wife. Um, Sure, Eve came from Adam, she is the glory of Adam. But since the day when Eve came from Adam, every other man that's ever been born has come from a woman. <laughs> so we are, and we have all come from God. So we are physiologically and um, different, and we are different in our marriage roles, but we are complementary. Uh, we need each other under God. 
Now, Paul wraps up this issue in verse 13. Judge for yourselves, he says, is it proper for a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered? And get this, does not the very nature of things teach you that if a man has long hair, it is a disgrace to him? But if a woman has long hair, it is to her glory. For her long hair is given to her as a covering. I think in some senses, uh, this again is about the blurring of the um, differences. Uh, on the one hand, uh, particularly in that time and culture, a man, man wearing his hair long uh, made him appear to be a woman. So you've got men wanting to appear feminine uh, and in so doing uh, rejecting their God-given masculinity uh, which is inherent in creation. Uh, on the other hand, Paul is arguing that the natural feminine covering of long hair is a reason from nature which points to why the Corinthian women should be wearing a covering uh, when they are praying and prophesying as a sign of respecting her husband's headship rather than signalling the opposite, which is what they were doing. And that is the key issue. It's what the behaviour sing signals. It's what the behaviour um, uh, tells about the underlying reality. Now, I want to go just to a side point uh, at this stage, uh, because did you notice that in this passage that Paul, Paul, Paul has no problem with women praying or prophesying uh, in church. Uh, we're going to deal with the issue of prophesying and what prophesying means when we get to chapters 12 through to 14, uh, which will be a little bit later on in the year because we're going to leave 1 Corinthians for a while after next week and then come back to it. But we're going to deal with what prophecy means when we get to those chapters. But the issue here is women praying and prophesying. The fact that women are doing it and Paul has no problem with the fact that they are praying and prophesying. His problem is their attitude and their, and their theology uh, as they do so. The Bible assigns to men the responsibility of leading the church family as a man is to lead his, his own family. And we have dealt with that uh, in other sermons. In our desire to be faithful to that, uh, we must be careful not to restrict women and to restrict women's ministries uh, in ways that God doesn't, in ways that the Bible um, does not restrict women's ministries. Um, <clears throat> for example, uh, in churches where it's where women are not allowed to even come up the front and read the passage from the Bible or to, or to lead in, in prayer. Uh, in the New Testament, women's ministries flourished and some of that we see here in the passage today. Now, that's a side issue, but I think it's worth saying. Now, how do we apply this passage, though? Um, <clears throat> 
Uh, should all the women in church today be wearing a hat? <clears throat> is that the right application of the passage? And the answer to that is no, um, because we don't live in first century Corinth. Uh, in our culture, if I saw a woman wearing a hat in church, I wouldn't say, oh, that woman really respects her husband um, and uh, respects his headship over her and all those other women not wearing. I wouldn't think that because it's not our culture. It's not, that is not a symbol that represents that in our culture. There are other symbols, um, such as certainly when I was growing up uh, in our culture, uh, using a, a woman using her husband's surname was a symbol of the respect that she had uh, for him in that relationship. Our culture's understanding of men and women is changing rapidly. And, of course, there is much uh, benefit um, from the greater equality of opportunity. And there are areas where, as Christians, we, we just need to adapt. We need to be godly in the new world um, situation that we live in. However, if you hold a biblical view of man and woman, you will feel out of step with society. And you do feel that way, don't you? I know you do because you, you tell me about that, what it's like for you in your workplaces and in your families when you're seeking to hold a biblical view of man and woman, that you feel like you're the odd one out. You feel that you are out of step with society. Friends, in that regard, it is society which is out of step with God. So I want to encourage you uh, not to shrink back, to celebrate and to enjoy the masculine and feminine differences that God has given us and to demonstrate those differences, to show those differences, particularly in marriage. Uh, wives, help your husbands as they seek to uh, lead you and lead the family uh, in godliness. Help him. Submit to him in that way, in the same way that, that the church submits to Christ in Ephesians 5. And husbands, love your wives. Lead your wives in godliness. Lead your children in godliness. Do so as Christ loved the church when he gave himself up for her, when he died on a cross for her. That is how we should lead. I want to lead us in prayer now. Father, uh, we thank you for your truth. Uh, we thank you that your truth does penetrate our culture and even our own lives. Um, Father, we pray that um, we would have a right understanding of living as your people in the order of relationships you've given us uh, in this age as we look forward to the next. We pray for, particularly for married couples within the church, that as we uh, implement uh, this and live this order of relationships, 
that uh, relationships and families and churches would flourish. Father, we pray that you'd help us to uh, stand firm uh, in the shifting sands of our culture and indeed that um, by doing so, that others would see uh, your plan in action and would indeed be attracted to the Saviour. We ask in his name. Amen.